HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, Visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I will try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Kenshiro Uki who is the general manager of San Nuro, a ramen noodle company in New Jersey, and headquartered in Hawaii, and the co-founder of Ramen Lab, which is a test kitchen and a tasting room for talented ramen chefs and ramen lovers. And his achievement was recognized many times, including 30 Under 30 by Zagat as a rock star redefining the food industry in 2014. Um, before we start, I'd like to talk about the little sensational news regarding raw fish, According to the New York Times on July 10th, the New York City Department of Health will require that fish served raw, undercooked, or marinated raw in dishes like ceviche, crudo, and of course sushi must be previously frozen to guard against parasites, and the regulations will take effect this August. A lot of people seem to have reacted negatively to this new rule, so I did a little research to see if it's a good rule or not. And of course, it's good that the government is trying to keep us safe, but the issue here is whether you can simply rely on freezing as a solution to food poisoning from raw fish. So I asked, asked a few questions, no, I asked a few people in the industry for their opinions. And first, uh, Chef Sotohiro Kosugi, who is the owner of the two-star Michelin restaurant Soto in West Village, said freezing fish would work to avoid parasite poisoning. 
but I'm more concerned about contamination of fish during defrosting. Once the cell walls and tissues of fish are damaging, damaged during、uh, defrosting, they can easily become a nest of various bacteria. Based on my experience, I would say the risk of parasite poisoning in raw fish is only around 0.5%. I'm not sure which risk is higher, parasite or other bacteria from defrosting. I think he's got a point. Also, freezing does not kill bacteria, such as very dangerous listeria, which needs to be、uh, heated at least 140 degrees Fahrenheit to be killed. And of course, freezing affects the taste of fish. Chef Yukihiro Kaguchi of Oya, New York City, said currently we freeze only salmon because we don't want to lose texture, flavor, taste, nutrition of、um, frozen fish. So I'm very disappointed by the new rule. However, freezing may, not ne- may be necessary because Mr. Kazuto,、uh, Kazuto Kogawa, an experienced fish manga at Nishimaru USA, which sells fish to notable restaurants such as Sushi Nakazawa, said the distribution system of fish in this country is very different from that in Japan. For instance, American distributors use 50 pound fish container filled with loads of ice. As a result, fish in the bottom is almost always damaged. On the other hand, in Japan, each fish is packed in a separate container that fits the size of the fish, so there's no damage, therefore, much lower risk of food poisoning. We cannot change the distribution system overnight, so unfortunately, my conclusion here is that the new regulations are necessary, but not the best solution at all. Listeners, if you have any comments, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org, and I'd like to hear from you. Now, let's talk about ramen noodles with Kenshiro, Uki of Sun Noodles. Hello, and welcome to the show. Hi, welcome. So,、um, your family owns and operates the ramen noodle company, Sun Noodle, and I believe the current ramen boom in New York City would not have existed without, without Sun Noodle. So,、um, can, I, can you tell us about your company first? <laughs> well,、um, yes.、Uh, Sun Noodle was、uh, established in Honolulu, Hawaii by my father and my mother,、um, Hidehito and Keiko Uki.、Mm-hmm. Uh, with the, just the simple, I think, purpose of just trying to supply restaurants with fresh noodles.、Mm. Um, in Hawaii, we make、uh, not just ramen noodles, but since there's a large population of other Asian ethnicities, we supply Chinese restaurants,、mm. uh, Filipino restaurants, and all sorts of different noodles. But、um, our main goal is, or our main business is to manufacture、mm-hmm. noodles and specifically ramen noodles.、Right. And your father came from Japan and his family had a noodle company already. Yes, yes. My father is from、uh, Tochigi, Japan.、Mm-hmm. And my grandfather also had a ramen, soba, and udon factory. Wow.、Yes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then you have、uh, now three factories?、Uh, yes, here in the States we do have three. Okay. And you have some other factories? No,、uh, three factories here in the States and then the ramen lab、uh, oh, okay. store. Right, okay. And then、um, according to your website,、uh, you, your company manufactures 90,000 servings of, of ramen a day. Every day, That's yes. That's a lot of ramen. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you just wonder, like, how, like, who eats all this noodles? But, you know,、right. we make and then it, it sells, and so we're very fortunate. Right. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right. And、uh, your company is known for customized ramen noodles for、mm-hmm. each client. Yes. And it sounds nice, but it'd be much easier if, you know, you just make one type of good noodle. Exactly. And、yeah. then sell to all.、Mm-hmm. So, why do you customize?、Uh, well, You know, when my father started、uh, in this industry about 35 years ago, 
I think for the majority of other manufacturers, uh, it was you know uh, one type of noodle or two types because from a manufacturing standpoint, that's the way to do uh, mm-hmm. efficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how could my father enter a market that was dominated? He had to really change up his business oh, plan. Okay. And so that was for him going to each chef and speaking to them and then crafting a noodle that matches their soup. Hmm. And then every shop he would go and do that. And then, you know, 35 years later, we have uh, a bunch of ramen shops and they all have different styles of noodles to match what they do. Mm. Yes. Right. So, and you were born and raised in Hawaii. Yes. Right? And then did you start working for the company right after you graduated from college? Uh, so, like any other family business, uh, we're all involved. My mother is one of the... You know, we, we we joke and say that you know she's really the one that pushes my father. So she's in there working hard. Uh, my sister and I, we when we were growing up, um, summer breaks uh, after school, we'd be in the factory packaging. Uh, my sister would do a lot of office work. I'd do delivery. Mm. So that was kind of our, uh, our youth. And after uh, college mm. uh, is when we... F- started to really enter the business Mm. and so um yeah i went to school in washington and then went straight to our california operations okay yes great and then you moved to new jersey in 2012 to open the new jersey factory exactly um a lot of more sales activity trying to meet with the customers and at the same time uh building a a small Mm. little factory right and then did you expect the ramen was going to be this popular when you joined the company? <laughs> no, I, right now it just seems like ramen is really trendy. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of young uh, professionals uh, tend to enjoy what we do. But when we were growing up, it was nothing uh, so uh, you know cool or, or anything hip. Right. So uh, my sister and I really love uh, where it's become today. Mm, right. you know? I think the majority of Japanese people in Japan too mm. uh, you never expect that ramen could be a keyword yeah. and something like that yeah. right. um, but why do, you, why do you think that ramen has become so popular in New York and probably uh, all over the world or country or <laughs> is that you name it you know? yeah I mean if, if you take a look at where ramen is popular um, the past five years uh, mm. you could say LA San Francisco and New York City I think uh, you know there's there's many parts to re- I think why um, one just ramen in general is is a real comfort food mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's really delicious uh, and it's affordable and mm-hmm. so anyone can afford a bowl of ramen uh, but I, I think especially here in New York City where you have people uh, who are so into food interested in food not just Japanese or Italian but just all sorts of food mm-hmm. that we have uh, a population that will go and travel mm-hmm. and learn more about and try different styles of food. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you have just really talented chefs and cooks who can take uh, from you know their experience mm-hmm. and really uh, showcase what they want to do in a bowl of ramen. And so um, it's really exciting. Uh, you have high-quality ramen here. You have people who want it and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's affordable. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. American chefs uh, started to have very interesting mm-hmm. ramen shops. And yes. so much creativity with it. Yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, who are your clients right now? Uh, in New York or? Uh, um, yeah, probably New York. So that yeah. I think uh, a lot of our listeners can recognize yeah. the names. Of- uh, so... 
you know, some of the ramen shops that we're so fortunate uh, to work with, um, even before we opened our factory here, uh, Momofuku, mm. um, and their team have been really supportive of us right. coming out Well, here. actually, the Momofuku is, uh, you know, the uh, David Chang, yes. who is now a superstar chef, but that exactly. was his place, the first restaurant. Yes, right? yes, his noodle bar. Right. And it opened uh, 2004, I Exactly, think, right? yeah. We didn't start working with them until 2008. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, just really fortunate uh, to work with Momofuku Group. And then, um, so before I came here, uh, there were a lot of ramen shops owned by Japanese chefs. Mm. So like Setagaya, mm. uh, Takumi, um, and you know, all these uh, Japanese restaurants that are still here today and, right. and, and do very well. Right. They used to serve uh, Japanese expatriates. Yes. Right? yes. And then they all gone after the recession. And then uh, <laughs> people started to have uh, the ramen, like American people started yeah. to enjoy yeah. it. Right. Personally for me, uh, when I moved here, uh, 2000, end of 2011, 2012, I really got to start working with uh, Chuko in Brooklyn. Mm. And Jameson. Jameson Blankenship and mm-hmm. Dave and used to be working for Morimoto. Morimoto, mm-hmm. yeah. And you know, I think I was 24 at the time, mm-hmm. and they've taught me a lot. And so, uh, yeah, Chuko, Ganso, in Brooklyn now. Mm-hmm. Um, they taught you in terms of business or what chefs look for. Yeah, because for them. You know, they've never operated a ramen shop before, but mm. they're very, very highly skilled chefs. Okay. And so learning more about food and different mm. styles and speaking about food was something I've learned from them. Mm. Uh, and then from there, we've just been very fortunate with people like Toto Ramen, mm. uh, Hidechan Ramen, and, you know, many more in the city. Right. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like you have all the leaders of ramen <laughs> in this city. Right. And in terms of retail, you have Whole Foods here? Yes. Uh, well, for the past five years uh, in most Japanese markets, mm-hmm. um, Mitsuwa in New Jersey, uh, Sunrise Markets and mm-hmm. M2M. And just this January, we launched a fresh ramen kit at Whole Foods Markets in New York City. Mm, I yes. tried it. It works. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <Right>. you. <laughs> right. And uh, do your clients come to you with a recipe uh, or ask you to make your recipe, you mm-hmm. know, give them your recipe? So uh, it, it's, uh, I think, two parts. So we work with Ivan Ramen, and Ivan Orkin knows exactly what he wants. Mm, so Ivan Orkin, is, uh, he started ramen shop in Japan, and Japan. he became a superstar in Japan. And exactly. He just opened, <laughs> uh, recently opened uh, in his New York place. City. Right? Yeah. So for someone like Ivan, who makes noodles in Japan and knows exactly what he, what he wants, mm. he'll come to us, and then we will... Uh, look over what we can do because mm-hmm. the ingredients are completely different here with the flour, mm-hmm. but we'll tweak it and so that we'll work towards uh, making a noodle that that makes him happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of chefs like Ivan who come over from Japan or who have this kind of idea of ramen noodle that they want. Mm-hmm. And then we'll tweak it together. But for the most part, uh, we have over 100 different types of noodle doughs mm-hmm. that customers can choose from wow yes so you have different machines 100 different machines or just to change uh, some uh, parts and you can customize uh, so the blend mm-hmm. all we have 100 different types of blends of noodles okay. those, and then okay. from there we can cut it like thin thick mm-hmm. medium thick wavy or straight right. and also the the weight mm. five ounces six ounces or, okay yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So what is the difference between ramen noodles and other noodles like uh, for example like pasta 
Uh, I would say it comes down to the ingredients. Um, and I've learned that pasta is not just extruded, they also cut it. And so, uh, but for ramen noodles, uh, what's most important is what we call kansi. Mm. And kansi is an alkaline salt that's a blend of sodium and potassium carbonate. Mm. Uh, and I believe only in ramen noodles is kansi used. Mm. And it, when, when you eat ramen noodles, you have this kind of aroma. It's an nice. alkaline kind of smell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that comes from kansi. But it also plays an effect on the texture. Mm. So it makes the ramen noodles a little bit firmer right. uh, in texture. Mm. So how, how does it work, like chemically? Mm. We, for us, we bring in our kansi from Japan mm-hmm. and it's in a powdered form mm-hmm. and we would blend this kansi with our water tank mm-hmm. and then create the solution that we then mix with our flour mm. okay mm-hmm. and uh, I heard it's uh, the flavonoid um, in the flour that turns to yellow with kansi that's why the ramen <laughs> noodles are yellow that's what I heard it's, I've heard that you know when I was growing up too, and um, so I've tried many times. I just put kansi, mm-hmm. water, and flour. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it turns as yellow as people probably mm. think. Okay. Uh, it might turn a little bit gray, mm. but a lot of the color that comes, a lot of the yellow color that comes from ramen noodles either comes from egg yolks mm. or vitamin B two okay. or artificial coloring. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, so that kansi makes it chewier because I heard, uh, I just did a little crazy research, but, uh, you know, the the gluten in the flour mm-hmm. has a nature to dissolve into alkaline water, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the gluten in the water prevents the starch in the dough from expanding. Mm-hmm. And as a result, dough gets tighter and chewier. It, does that sound right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that sounds all right. It sounds very scientific. Uh. <laughs> For us, um, naturally, when you mix wheat, flour, and water, mm. and only these two, when it comes together, it naturally develops this gluten. Mm. Um, and then from there, I think when you add kansi, what, what we've tested is that gluten is very chewy, mm. but when you add kansi, you get this firm, brittle texture. Mm. So it's, uh, I think it's just a process of balancing it out. Okay. So firm and chewiness. Mm. And then that's how we balance our kansi. Right. Um, what it does to the water is it increases the pH level above 7.2. Okay. So 7.2 is just natural. Mm-hmm. And when we increase it, it makes it more alkaline. Mm. And so we use those uh, ingredients to make our noodles. Right. Yeah, I I tasted your noodles uh, many times, and then it's like a bouncing. They say chewy, but yeah. it's not like a chewing and chewy. It's no, kind no. of bouncing back to yeah. your, you know, teeth, and uh-huh. it's comfortable, addictive <laughs> texture. Um, okay, so what are the variations of noodles when uh, customize them uh, for your clients? In other words, you know, the what are the variables that chefs are concerned about? Let's see. Um From my experience and, and speaking to customers, uh, we have one, I guess what we call a set of customers that have traveled to Japan mm. and let's say they went to uh, Hokkaido mm. or Tokyo mm. or Kyushu and they would want to replicate that regional style of right. ramen here in the States. Because mm-hmm. they're distinctive in style. Exactly. Right, the, the miso shoyu and tonkotsu ramen, different styles. Right. Uh, when they come back to us with that, uh, we already have some kind of idea of what noodle 
that they're looking uh, for because of the different regional varieties. Right. On the flip side, there is customers who want to do completely different, uh, maybe something that, that we've never heard of. Mm. Um, and so from there, we would have to test and bring in different um, flowers mm-hmm. and blend it um, and craft a noodle okay. that's a little bit different. Right. So probably different thickness, like you said earlier, like uh, chewiness, maybe the level of kansui, I don't know, <laughs> or length and curliness, that yeah. kind of variation. The common ones that we get is uh, the length mm. uh, of the noodle, uh, the thickness, mm. and the weight. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So weight means how dense the dough is? Um, no, so uh, for example, if, if a ramen shop is making... Uh, a regular size of bowl of ramen. Mm-hmm. It would be five ounces portion of noodles. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe this restaurant wants to do a small mm. ramen. So right. they only want three ounces. Okay. And so they want to change that weight right. um, of the portion. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, for instance, uh, you know, like tonkotsu, it's a pork bone soup. Mm-hmm. What kind of uh, noodle um, do you suggest what people prefer normally? Yeah, so just traditional um, tonkotsu style noodles is um, it's a, it's a very low moisture noodle, mm-hmm. so less water in the dough. Okay, and it's very white and very very thin, like angel hair pasta. Mm. So it cooks quickly, but it also gets soggy quickly, be- quickly because there's no uh, moisture. Oh, okay, because uh, the the soup is thick already. You don't need yeah. a thick noodle. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, by the way, I spoke to one of the popular ramen companies in New York, and then they said the noodles are made thicker than those in Japan because mm-hmm. people tend to talk more as mm-hmm. they eat here. Mm-hmm. And whereas in Japan, people eat ramen as fast food. Mm-hmm. So they sit down and will sometimes keep standing and eat and leave. <laughs> so they have to customize it. For yeah, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> All right. Uh, so now let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about um, Kenshiro's Ramen Lab. And so please stay with us. Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Kenshiro Oki, who is the general manager of San Noro in New Jersey, and also the co-founder of Ramen Love in Nolita. So you opened the Ramen Love in January. Uh, what is it? So Ramen Love is our attempt to showcase to New York City the different styles of ramen available throughout the world, especially here in the U.S., mm. Wow. So it's a test kitchen, tasting room, that kind of... Yeah. I mean, it's actually many things. So um, the, the concept is that we bring in a new 
or a ramen shop every month mm, to showcase yeah. their style of ramen here in New York City. Mm, it's like and a smorgasbord of ramen. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I think, you know, the, the goal is, um, one, is for the people who come to our shop to try a different style of ramen every month. Mm. Uh, two, uh, is that guest chef mm. who may have uh, a vision to open in New York City or in America one day mm. uh, to test out uh, his or her skills right. in New York City. Mm-hmm. And then for us, uh, ourselves and our, our operations department is to understand mm. that there's different methods of thinking of approaching mm. of making a bowl of ramen mm. by each chef. So, right. And yeah. then... Um, I mean, you have like a three-week pop-up every yes. month. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. And uh, what's on the menu? You know, you have regular menu when you have no pop-up? No. So um, every three weeks, there's a new ramen shop that mm-hmm. comes in. Right. Uh, if there is any uh, downtime, mm-hmm. we use it more for seminars. Okay. Or we use it for uh, sales training. Mm. So yes. seminars uh, is for chefs or chefs? Yes, we've had um, the MoFad Museum of Food and Drink mm. come in, and we did a, a ramen flight seminar. Mm. Uh, we bring in other uh, potential chefs who want to open up, wow. and we give them a seminar. It, it's it's beautiful. We have a full kitchen, mm. everything that we need to make ramen uh, in that tiny space. Right. So who wants to whoever wants to take that seminar? How can they find the information? Right now, it's only industry, so okay. um, they will contact our sales team okay. or our distributors. Right, so it's uh, some little website. Yes, and then, yes. Okay, right. And by the way, you have a, a corporate chef who's Shige Nakamura, yes. who is known as a ramen legend mm-hmm. in Japan. Mm-hmm. So he works on different kinds of noodles. Yeah, well, uh, so we've worked for many years uh, together. Um, however, he... Uh, still helps us uh, mm-hmm. when we have customers who want to open up shops but I think you know he has he has a shop in Japan as well right. called Nakamureya mm-hmm. and uh, you know right now it's best for him to go back he hasn't mm-hmm. been back for many years okay. and so he's back there right now um, trying to regroup Mm. and organize what that Nakamureya mm. is going to do right. uh, in the future. Right. So it sounds like Ramen Lab is really a global meeting point of ramen. In yeah. a way. <laughs> Which is very fortunate for us. You know, right. you know. So what about the pop-up menu? Do you have any set format or any free? Um, so we started off uh, in January with a very, very traditional uh, Tokyo shoyu ramen, mm-hmm. which is what we call the chuka soba, a very classic. Mm. Um, and then from there, we went towards um, Ichikoro. Mm. And they're opening in Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do what we feel like is going to be the future, mm-hmm. is they've taken what's locally available in Tampa Okay. And infuse it in ramen. So it sounds like seafood. Exactly. Right. Yeah, they do a, a take on champon that's more or less uh, using local ingredients. Mm. Uh, for example, their chashi was Cuban inspired. Ah, spices. <laughs> interesting. Um, so very interesting. Every month when you come in, it's completely different, mm. and that's very exciting for us. Right. And uh, how how do you select the chef guest chef? Uh, so we have a group of. Uh, chefs and people in the restaurant industry that we respect Mm -hmm. and they are the ones that help us pick and choose Mm. Um, but there are some criteria that they need to fill Um, 
does this ramen shop do something that represents where they come from? Mm. So whether they're from the U.S. or mm. Japan, mm. is it something that's uh, very unique to where they come from? Mm. Uh, is it something that's not available in New York City? Mm. Okay. Another one. And then a third is um, people who want to open a shop one day mm. have been maybe doing pop-ups in their city mm. and want to use this space as a place to really test it and have customers come in. Mm, okay. And, uh, you know, the current, uh, you know, pop-up chef, uh, Nishioka, Chef Nishioka, yes. um, <coughs> I, I happen to know him. And then, um, yeah, on his fa- Facebook page, I think a couple of weeks ago, he, d- he said that he declared he decided to expand his business in other mm-hmm. cities in the U.S. because he's be- based in Boston, right? Yes. So because he had, uh, he gained the confidence at the Ramen Lab. Oh, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> so you are definitely doing something very meaningful to the ramen community. <laughs> Right. Thank you. Right. So, um, so could you please give us uh, some other uh, some examples of uh, you know past pop up chefs great ramen? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know every ramen shop that came into Ramen Lab is already great. I think you've seen it through the lines that are out the door. Um, but you know, from the customer standpoint, that's really exciting for me is. Um, Let's say in the month of March, mm. you really enjoyed this ramen, mm. but there are others who maybe didn't care for it so much. Mm. But the following month, that same customer loved this ramen, and then the other one didn't care for it that mm. month. And so we've been trying to see that and, and you know, really showcase to people that there's um, likes and dislikes. Mm. And even for ramen, you know, there's so many different types of ramen out there that... Mm you'll appreciate some, and you probably won't care for others. And at the end of the day, that's really great for us because we want to um, showcase uh, to people that uh, there's not just one style of ramen that maybe mm. you've tried that once in your life, but there's a lot of mm. ramen out there. And so um, we've had four or five chefs now mm. uh, at Ramen Lab. Okay. And they were all very, very different, mm. um, and they're all very good. Right. So yeah. what's the popular style Ooh, I mean, I, I think right now it's still kind of the rich flavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the tonkotsu mm-hmm. or the tori paitang, which is like a chicken broth that's been cooked for many hours. With bones. Exactly. So it's like a gelatinous. Yeah. So that's something I learned um, from Ramen Nikko. Mm-hmm. When they came to Ramen Lab, uh, the chef is from uh, Shigaken, mm-hmm. uh, Japan, near Kyoto. But um, he sourced everything from the U.S. Mm. All the chicken, everything to make his tare was from the U.S. Except this one equipment that he brought from Japan. Mm. And it's like this uh, massive uh, grinding blender thing. <laughs> so as the chicken's cooking in the pot, he uses this thing and he like crushes the bones. Ah. And just keeps on cooking it. And that's where he got his really rich uh, chicken broth. Mm. And that was very interesting for wow. people to see. I'm curious where the machine is from. Is it Japanese, right? <laughs> yeah. Customized? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so you said uh, it's people tend to, American people here in New York City mm-hmm. um, tend to like thicker, richer. Yeah, that's what we've seen. But um, every time or whenever someone tends to appreciate the lighter broth, mm. that really makes us uh, excited because... Um, you know, in, in Japan, uh, it seems like when you're younger, mm-hmm. you eat the rich broth, and mm-hmm. then as you tend to get older and age, you tend towards you know to like the lighter broths, mm-hmm. and that's that's great right. for, for us. So. <laughs> right, kind of, and also at the same time, you're observing 
um, customers growing and mm-hmm. the, pe- the palate is maturing. Yeah. Right? If there's one common thing that we've seen is spicy. People are always requesting spicy. Hmm. Yeah, so if any ramen shop out there wants to create a menu, spicy is something to think about. Hmm. Yeah. So like uh, spicy rolls, the same thing with sushi. Yeah, maybe. exactly. Hmm. Just like spicy ramen is very popular. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that's a good tip for <laughs> ramen, you know, the business who's, yeah. who's considering why I'm opening ramen business here, right? <laughs> spicy, that's the keyword. Yeah. Right. Um, so our listeners can buy your noodles at the Whole Foods in New York, yes, right? Yes. So do you have any tips for cooking ramen noodles at home? Yeah. So I mean, one thing uh, it, it's fresh noodles, mm-hmm. um, and so um, it's completely different from instant ramen. Uh, for our noodles, we recommend that the uh, cook uses a big pot of boiling hot water. Mm, like pasta. Like pasta, right. yes. It doesn't have to be salted, just mm-hmm. hot water that's boiling. And, um, you know, to cook the noodles properly. Um, for our noodles at Whole Foods, we recommend one minute and 30 seconds mm-hmm. cook time. And uh, it, sometimes if you overcook it, uh, there's a trick to getting that texture back. It's just by shocking it in cold water, huh. and it brings that texture right back. So. Okay. But yeah, I mean, for our noodles, it's just constantly using fresh uh, boiling water. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, well, the, actually, I looked at the web, your website, and then we highly discourage boiling both the noodles and the soup in the same pot. Yes. So yes. what happens if you do uh, Oh, what happens when you do... Um, our noodles are coated with cornstarch, mm-hmm. and so if you cook the water and the noodles and the soup all together, you get this kind of slimy taste. That's <laughs> <laughs> not really pleasant. So, um, yeah, cooking the noodles in a separate pot, mm-hmm. and then for the soup base, mm-hmm. uh, you can put it in your bowl right. and just add a cup of hot water. Mm-hmm. And then once the noodles are cooking, you strain it, put the noodles in, mm-hmm. and then from there you can use any kind of vegetables, proteins, toppings that you can mm. imagine. Right. So rinse it and put it in the soup. Yes. That's the key. Yes. All right. Uh, by the way, what's the... I mean, in the home, it's hard to make tonkotsu soup, right? Because you have to really cook the pork bones. Yes. So what's the recommendation for the women beginners at home? Um... To make tonkotsu or just any kind of... Uh, well, y- yeah, any kind. I mean, tonkotsu, I think yeah. maybe you need a pressure cooker or yeah. something like that, right? Well, uh, you know, if you're making it only for yourself, uh, you know, just get some pork uh, knuckle bones. Mm-hmm. Um, and since you're making it for yourself, it's uh, just use a pot, uh, a smaller pot, more bones, uh, water, and then just keep on boiling it for a long time. You're not going to get, you're not going to yield a lot of soup. Mm. which is the hardest part if you're making it for a party. But if it's just for yourself, I mm. think it's, it's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think any, making any kind of broth and pairing that with the tare packets or the soup packets that are included in the ramen kits mm-hmm. makes more of a, of a tasty bowl. Right. So tare yeah. is basically addition to the soup taste, right? Yes. To yeah. accentuate. Exactly. Uh, we, f- we always say there's five elements mm-hmm. to a great bowl of ramen. One is noodles. Um, the second one is soup stock. That's unseasoned um, broth mm-hmm. that's cooked from bones, um, fish. Mm-hmm. The third is a tare or the liquid seasoning. This is where you get the flavors of ramen, uh, the umami. Uh, aromatic oils, mm-hmm. it's like chicken fat, mm-hmm. uh, green onion oil. And then the fifth is just toppings. 
Mm. And if you can really balance out these five elements, you can craft a great bowl of ramen anywhere. Mm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Tasty. <laughs> right. And uh, I'm sure there are different kinds of styles of ramen. Like you said, uh, early before the show we talked, and then your next pop-up mm-hmm. chef is going to be from Korea. Yes. Right? So they have different kind of ramen? Yeah. Um, he, so he, his is a very heavy tonkotsu uh, ramen. Mm-hmm. And he uses kimchi mm-hmm. uh, on the side for his ramen. And so I'm really excited to see what he does here. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just different yeah. styles and different ways of thinking of presenting right. your bowl. So he's got the key. He's spicy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. And, uh, well, it sounds like, I mean, it's the China, Korea, Japan, they have the origin of ramen mm-hmm. already. But, uh, you know, it's, it's becoming really, really popular. Sounds yeah. like worldwide. Yes. So how do you predict the future of ramen? I mean, here in New York, of course, probably it's uh, most close to saturation, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Not all the chefs and the shops. But um, even in the U.S., I think there are many restaurants, uh, ramen shops in all over the country, too. Right? Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, there's a lot opening um, in other parts, uh, for example, like Chicago or Texas, mm-hmm. um, the Pacific Northwest, um, such as Portland, Oregon, Seattle, mm-hmm. Washington. It, the amount of ramen shops um, and inquiries that we get from these areas mm. has grown tremendously. Mm. So, Are they uh, mostly American chefs' ramen shops or both? Both, both, mm. yeah. We have a, a few Japanese ramen shops coming over mm. overseas, but uh, a lot of people from the U.S. Mm. interested in, in opening ramen shops. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's just mm. more creative, and mm. I've, I think it's really good for ramen culture itself. Yes. It's more creative yes. and in- innovative. Yeah. Right. So we, you know... The authentic styles that you could see in Japan, I think that's a great first step for many of the ramen shops here. Mm. But, you know, the future or what we are trying to achieve is what we call uh, regionalized ramen. Mm. And so one day it's uh, having a specific style of ramen from New York City Mm. or Texas or Seattle Mm. that kind of uh, represents them from their city. Right. Yeah. Wow. So what the New York one would be? I mean, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure out of the thousands of talented chefs that there will be something that represents New York mm. in a bowl of ramen. Right. Yeah. Maybe in three years, five years. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, I heard you started to distribute in Europe, too. Yes. Right? yes. So that market is big there. Okay. Yeah, we started uh, to distribute in Europe two years ago. Mm. Um, but this year has been tremendous in the amount of... Um, noodles that we send over to mm. places like London or mm. Paris or Switzerland. So, wow. yeah. so then the local chefs started to open ramen shops? Yes. Wow. Yes. And do they have different styles of ramen than here? Or? Yes, yes, a lot. Um, I think right now, especially in Paris and um, London, mm. a lot of chefs uh, and ramen shops opening up. Mm. Yep. Do you know any interesting uh, ramen that they have locally? Uh, I've only been to London twice, but I've been fortunate to visit a place called Bone, Bone Daddy's, mm-hmm. and it's opened by a, a, a local chef. But um, yeah, he uses like chicken skin mm-hmm. and uh, chops them up and uses that as toppings for this kind of crunchy texture. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, 
it's it's a ramen that I've never had anywhere else, mm. and that was very exciting. Wow, yeah. that's great. <laughs> so it sounds like you get educated as much as you educate them. I probably I get educated more than mm. than, than I can offer anyone, but that's what's great. Every day you're learning something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, and do you sell uh, noodles to Japan too? No, no, we. Um, we have my my grandfather still has a factory in Tochigi, mm. and they distribute um, products uh, mm-hmm. in that area. But uh, no, no, not okay. in Japan. Yeah, because I think it's be interesting if you have ramen lab mm-hmm. in Tokyo or yeah. somewhere. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that'd be amazing. Right. We do sell our simon. Mm-hmm. So simon is a Hawaiian uh, ramen dish. Okay. In Japan. Hmm. Yes. What's the difference? Simon. Simon, I mean noodles. If you just be technical, it's it's a higher ash content flour, so it's a lot darker and grayer. Mm. But uh, it's a very simple dashi mm. from fish. Um, very very simple that Hawaii people love to eat. Right. Yeah. Okay. So mm. what what's your plan next? <laughs> we have a lot of of uh, things happening. I you know just got back from Hawaii because mm. of our meeting, but a lot of product launches for uh, the retail market mm-hmm. so we want to really um, target the, the retail consumers mm-hmm. on making um, our products at home right yeah. wow so more ramen that we can eat yes. at home <laughs> great all right so thank you for joining us today thank and you very uh, much. for making great ramen noodles thank you <laughs> and listeners if you'd like to know more about sun noodle and ramen lab please visit sunnoodle.com and ramen lab Com. That is ramen-lab.com. And if you have any questions or comments, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org. And you can also reach me at akikokatayama.com. Japan Eats is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's music was provided by Rectech. And next up, you'll hear a short clip of Chef Marco Canora sharing some snack hacks on the food scene. So I'll see you next week. There's so much misinformation out there, and and everybody thinks that eating well needs to be uh, surrounded with deprivation, and it's like it's not deprivation at all. Like I'm a I'm a fucking hedonist. Chef Marco Canora shares some snack hacks on episode 226 of the Food Scene, hosted by Michael Harlan Turkel. I love food. I eat food like crazy. I don't need to be hungry to eat food. It is just like a huge part of my life, and. You know, a lot of people are afraid of this idea of eating well because they think that you turn your back on all that stuff. And no, it doesn't mean you turn your back on loving food. It just means you have to educate yourself and think differently about it. So when you think of popcorn, do you instantly think, oh, that's fiber. That's going to clear me out. Um, Yeah, you know, yes, I think about popcorn and then I say, well, let's make sure I put the right fat on it. And... And let's make sure, you know, I'm getting a good quality popcorn that's not some kind of highly mass-produced GMO popcorn. And then it's great popcorn, and I'll grate some really good pecorino cheese on it and put a boatload of uh, black pepper on it and put a big hunk of really good grass-fed butter on it and some nice sea salt. And, man, it's fucking delicious, decadent popcorn that I could eat a tub of it until I'm sick. And I'm not going to feel so bad about it, right? Because of you now, kachu e pepeing something is like a verb in our house. (laughs) Right. We always have that hunk of pecorino. This was an excerpt from episode 226 of The Food Scene, hosted by Michael Harlan Turkel. 
Did you like it? The Food Scene episodes are available on our website or on iTunes. Dig in for more. This piece was brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.